Praise the Lord. Let's give it up for Pastor Aaron. Good morning. Good morning, man. Wasn't baptisms were amazing. It was so cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, I went rock climbing with my wife on Friday. Uh, so if I look like a T-Rex up here holding this microphone, it's because I have noodle arms still. They're still kind of a little, they haven't quite come back yet. But uh, it was basically the worst date of my life. No, it was awesome. Uh, I kicked her butt. I beat her up that wall. Amen. Hallelujah. Steadfast. She may work out more than me, but I beat her. That's what it's all about. Uh, I don't even know what I was trying to say. Uh, I got a, I believe the Lord gave me a word for you this morning. You can go ahead and put it up. The title of the message this morning is When They See You. Uh, when they see you. Turn to your neighbor and say, when they see you. Turn to your other neighbor and say, what do they see? Some of you are like, I'm not asking that question. When they see you, what do they see? And, and uh, at the Promise Church, we, our, our prayer is that we would be a community of people that represent Jesus well. Amen? We want to represent him well, and uh, we believe this. It's not just a nice phrase, but we believe that we can see a region come to know Jesus, an entire region, a city can come to know the goodness of God. We see it in Acts. It's not just a nice story. It actually happened, and we believe that it can happen here today. And uh, we, it's not just a nice anecdote. Like, we, we believe it. And that when it happens, it's going to influence every area of culture. It's going to influence our school systems and our dropout rate. It's going to influence our businesses and the profitability. It's going to influence the, the crime rate and the drug rate in our community. Homes, broken homes, divorce rates will go down. It's going to influence everything. And that's our prayer. And we believe that there's going to be healing and the miraculous every day. Every day. But see, we don't, we don't pursue the, the miracles. We pursue the miracle maker. But when Jesus is on the scene, when he's prevalent in a situation, oftentimes healing and the miraculous follow. When he's there, oftentimes the supernatural follows. And so we pursue the Lord and we say, God, come and do what only you can do. Let heaven come to earth. And oftentimes the initial answer to that prayer, which is Jesus, we want to see a region come to know you. The answer from the Lord most often is, I'll use you first. I'll use you, and he'll use me first. That we're the first line of defense. He says, I'll come in, and I'll bring freedom to your life. I'll bring joy to your life. I'll bring breakthrough to your life, and then I'll use that that you just experienced, and you can give that away to others. But I'm going to start first with you. You're the first one. And we want to be a culture of people that represent him well, that he's not just some additive to our lives. He's not just part of an equation. Now, he is the entire equation. He is everything mixed into one. And you know when you go over to, like, somebody's house and, and they cook you a meal and uh, they, they cook you food that is, like, lacking in flavor, right? Like, never when I've gone over to your, any of your houses, it's only non-promised church people only when they make me food. But sometimes those other people that don't come here, they make food and it's lacking flavor. And you're searching around to say, how am I going to finish this meal? And then God sends salt. And you grab that amazing miracle salt shaker. And you sprinkle some salt onto your food. 
And all of a sudden, the flavor pops out, and you realize, I can. I, I can do this. I don't have to be a mean, mean jerk. And too often, Christians try to sprinkle Jesus onto our life to say, oh, it's just going to improve the flavor a little bit. Just sprinkle a little Jesus on my situation, not even changing the ingredients, just improve the flavor. But see, you can't just bring an additive to your life and call him Jesus. He is the entire meal, and you either eat of him or you don't eat of him. And when you consume him and you taste and see that he's good, you realize, man, I don't want anything else. It's really that good. It fills me when I drink of him, when I taste of him. Ah, this is the best. I don't want anything else. It's not an additive. He is the whole meal. And you and I were called to live a life representative of Jesus, that we are full of him at all times, and that when people see us, when they look upon us, they recognize that something's different. Something's different with that guy. What does he have? My life represents the life that I have inside. Does anybody know what an oxymoron is? Right? Oxymoron. Two opposite things come together to make something. Let me read a few examples for you. Act naturally, right? How can you act and be na act naturally, right? They don't go together. Liquid gas, right? Liquid gas, two opposites somehow made into one. Seriously funny. How can you be seriously funny? Jumbo shrimp. Jumbo shrimp, right? Uh-uh, it's either jumbo or it's a shrimp. Deafening silence. Like, just let it explode your mind for a moment. It's so quiet, it's loud. Yep, that. Android phone. Never meant to be in the same sentence. It's an iPhone. Android and phone, they just don't, they don't go together. You all know I'm right. You're trying to reset your phone all the time, and you're getting viruses in your phone. Right. iPhone. L.A. Lakers and LeBron. Right. They don't go together. They should not be said in the same sentence. Can I get an amen? Come on. But there's another one that I want to I propose to you this morning, and it's this. Christian atheist. Christian atheist. Somebody who believes in Jesus, who recognizes that he's real, but whose life does not portray that belief. I believe that he's there. I know he's real. But you could not tell by looking at my life. Now, I'm not saying because you go to a church for an hour and a half. I'm saying you can't tell by my lifestyle that I believe that. And you and I are called to have a lifestyle that represents Jesus in everything we do. That when somebody looks at your life, they see something's different about that guy. And he's got joy. He's got peace. Like some of you need to tell your faces that you know Jesus. Like just start there. Have a smile on your face. In 2 Timothy, there's a scripture that Paul writes to his, his spiritual son, Timothy. Timothy's spiritual father is Paul, and Paul's telling him, Timothy, there's people in the church that I want you to be aware of, and I want you to confront them. I want you to be 
uh, aware of them and then and, and confront the issue. And, and the, he describes these people in 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. People that are having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, a few years ago, I knew a guy. He, um, he was an investment advisor, financial advisor, and uh, he worked with people to build up their assets to um, help create a financial plan for them of how are you going to get to retirement? Like, how do you save the money you need to save, get to retirement, and then have your assets last longer than you do, right? You don't want to run out of money. And he would take their money, and he would invest in the stock market or the bond market or other alternative investments. And um, he'd been in business for about 10 years, and he kept wondering, you know, why is my business not, not grown much further than it is? But see, the problem with this guy is that his personal finances were a disaster. He owed tens of thousands of dollars to the IRS. He was in debt by about $50,000 in credit card debt. He had no personal savings to speak of, and he had never invested his own money. Who here would want to use this guy, right? Like, sign me up. That's the guy I want. See, the, the problem is he had all the knowledge. He had all the, the financial wisdom and prowess. But he never applied that wisdom and knowledge to his life. The power, the financial power that he possessed, the understanding he had, he never in, uh, applied it to his own life. So his life financially was in disaster. But he had all the knowledge. He knew everything. And see, too often as Christians, we have all the knowledge, we have the appearance, we, we have all the right understanding of things, but we've never applied the power of that to our lives, and our lives don't resemble the power that is living within us. Because if he is joy, we should have joy. If he's peace, we should have peace in our lives. If he has won the victory for us, we shouldn't be in bondage to sin. Our life should resemble, are you with me? Our life should resemble the freedom and the power of Christ that's living inside of us. And Jesus, he never intends for you to stay in your mess. Now, I understand when you first get saved, when you first meet Jesus, right, your life may be in a mess. It may be, you may be struggling with sin or you may be struggling with fear or unforgiveness, whatever it is, right? And Jesus, he comes to you and he gets down in your mess. He gets down, doesn't ask you to change your clothes, doesn't ask you to clean up, doesn't ask you to stop doing this, stop that habit, add this to your life. No, he, he just comes to you the way you are. And he says, I'll embrace you and all your mess. You don't have to look pretty for me. No, while you were a sinner, he died for you. He comes down on your level and embraces you. But then, then he lifts you up and he says, come follow me and leave your mess behind. That you were never intended to stay there. You were never intended to struggle there. You're to leave the old man behind and move on with the new man. That the power of God, when it comes inside of you, brings deliverance, it brings freedom, it sets things free. Too often, though, we stay there. We try to drag around the old man. We try to drag around the dead man. He's saying, leave it behind. And we have the appearance. We say all the right things, but we've denied the power of God from truly influencing our life and our lifestyle. 
You and I are called to be the light of the world, to shine for Jesus, because we have the answer. And so when we see somebody who's hurting, it's like, hey, I got the answer for you. I know you're hopeless. I got the hope. I have the solution to your problem. You don't need to look anywhere else. I'll be the conduit of heaven representing Jesus to you. And see, some of you may be like, well, I'm just not that type of person. I'm not bombastic. I'm not boisterous. I'm not confident. I don't know what to say to people. I'm, I'm intimidated. I don't have the right words. You see, a light bulb doesn't have to worry about shining when it's plugged in to its resource. Your power source shines through you. So you don't need to worry about what to say. And some of you are struggling. I don't know how to shine. I don't know how to, how to say something. I don't know how to live for Jesus. It's too difficult. But see, when you're plugged into the power source, all of a sudden you start shining for him, and you don't have to worry about what to say because he's saying it through you. And so you got to stay connected. you got to stay connected. you got to stay in his presence. you got to stay in his words. you got to stay in prayer. you got to stay in worship. And you're like, man, that sounds like a lot of staying. Yeah, it is. It's a lifestyle. It's a commitment to say, I'm going to pursue this with everything I have. I mean, why are we here? Why, are we, why did you come this morning? Why are you sitting in these seats? Why are you raising your hands? Right, I mean, let's just assume for a moment that being a Christian is much more than just highlighting a few scriptures in your Bible. Checking off an attendance sheet and getting your groove on on a Sunday morning, maybe a little dance, maybe, whew. Not too much, though. Let's just assume for a moment that being a Christian is having the power of God coming into every aspect of your life and improving it. That your marriage will be the best marriage around. That you'll be the best parent you could possibly be. That you'll be the best employee at your place of employment. Right? This is what we all want. Right? I mean, even if we won't acknowledge it or say it out loud, like, we really want it. We want to be the best. We want God in every area of our lives to improve it. We all want it. But too often we deny that power of coming in. We relegate them off. I'm comfortable with that area, but I don't want to change this over here. And this morning, God wants to remind you, this morning, I want to invite you to let him in into every area of your life. Every area. In Titus, Paul is speaking to another son, spiritual son of his, and he's telling Titus, he's saying there's people within the church that I want to make you aware of. Very similar to Timothy. And he says to Titus in Titus 1, chapter, verse 16, he says, there's people there, who, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their lifestyle. Profess to know him, but they deny him by the lifestyle. Now, now let, me, let me give you an example of this for a moment. Let's say there's somebody who comes to you and they say, man, I'm going to start working out. Like, I need to like, get in shape. I've got, like, I gained, personally, 20 pounds in 18 months. And my, my wife said, Congratulations, you're a man now. Uh, but let's just assume that she didn't say that, and she said, honey, <laughs> go to the gym, right? It was one of those moments, and they come to you, and they're like, I'm going to do it. And so you see them a couple months later, and uh, you're like, man, how's it going? Man, waking up at 5 a.m., CrossFit. Late night, doing HIIT workouts. Afternoon, lifting weights. Then I'm running five miles between breakfast and lunch and five miles between lunch and dinner. Like, I'm doing everything. And you're looking at them and you're like, bro, you don't look like you've lost a pound. Like, you look exactly the same as two months ago. What? Like, you don't look more in shape. You were huffing and puffing, just walking to me like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you doing 
What are you eating? Oh, man, now that I'm working out, I'm eating five cheeseburgers for lunch. I'm eating an entire pizza for dinner. I'm doing biscuits and gravy for breakfast, and I'm having it every morning. I'm drinking pop and coffee with every meal, and it's great because now that I'm working out, I can eat whatever I want, and isn't it fantastic? Right? All of us would look at him and say, you're an idiot. Like, that doesn't work. You can't go to the gym and do all that stuff and think that you can live that way. You can't do it. It completely, like, throws out everything you're doing in the gym. This is what Christians do. We go to the gym. We exercise our spiritual muscles. Hallelujah. Open my Bible. Read. Dan. And then we go out and our lifestyle doesn't change and we wonder why our life looks the same as it did two months ago because we work out in the gym and we feel good about ourselves but we never change the way we live. But our lifestyle needs to resemble the power of God that we encounter here. But it's got to transition into our lifestyle because all of us will look at that individual and say, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it all wrong. I know you're doing great here but you've got to change this. You've got to change your lifestyle or this will mean nothing. This, this should be the influencer of our lifestyle, not this influencing our time in his presence. And too often it's the other way around. We're facing turmoil over here, and now it's influencing everything here. No, I resource from this place. And this place helps me create a lifestyle that pursues him in everything that I do. That was good, thank you. Whew. I'm sweating, just getting ready, working out right now, just getting my bench press on. Don't come up and give me a hug afterwards because you're going to smell that getting my bench press on. It's hard work. My lifestyle should scream my love for Jesus. It should scream it. It should be the thing that everybody notices. When, I, when I'm out and about, they should be like, man, there's something that's different about you. You know somebody that I don't know. You should scream that. I don't know if any of you will remember this. Probably some of you millennials will remember this about when I was in high school. Like it was the cool thing when your shirt said the name brand on your, like American Eagle. Like it was American Eagle and this giant eagle. And it was like, I'm awesome, right? And then like Hollister, it was like Hollister. And every shirt said the brand name, like across the arms onto the other side, Abercrombie and Fitch, like it was the same shirt that you could get for 10 bucks with Hanes, but it cost $65 because it said the brand name on the shirt, like everybody wore it. If you didn't have the name brand on your shirt, they're like, dude, that shirt's dumb. But you put Hollister on the same shirt, and they're like, you are awesome. Like it created value, the shirt did, and you could buy, like I had like 10 Hollister shirts. They were all the same shirt, just different colors, but they all said the same name across the front, all 65 bucks. And you're like, what is your problem? It meant something. The name meant something on that shirt. Like, if we wear the, the, the name of the, the college football team that we love, right? Like if we, or the, the NFL team that we love, like Seahawks, there's value on that shirt. I remember a few years ago, my wife, she needed a sweatshirt. So she, was, she went and uh, got this, a Washington State University sweatshirt. And uh, I, I went to college there. I got my bachelor's degree from there. And so she's thinking like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Like my husband... This is alma mater. He's going to be so proud. Now, this is like four or five years ago when the Cougars were terrible at football. Like they won one or two games a year. And I, she brings it home all excited. And I'm like, Tash, you can't wear that. Like they are bad. <laughs> like that's embarrassing. Like they are so terrible. Uh, let me help you. So I went out and I bought her an Oregon Ducks sweatshirt. 
This is when, like, Marcus Mariota was playing, and they were, like, going to the national championship game. And I'm like, you can be proud to wear this one. Like, I'll walk around town with you now because you got an Oregon Duck sweatshirt on. It meant something. And I remember on a Monday, she went to, to the gym. And, and uh, now my wife, she doesn't like football, like, at all. Like, she, she doesn't at, at all. Like, she understands how scoring works, but she doesn't, like, she doesn't watch games at all. Like, she, the only way she'll watch it if I can say that somebody's, like, a Christian. And I'm like, oh, Peyton Manning's a pastor somewhere. He's a preacher. She's like, oh, I like Peyton Manning. And then she'll be like, she'll all into it. It's a good thing Russell Wilson loves Jesus because she'll actually watch the Seahawks every now and again. Right? But she doesn't follow it. She doesn't, she doesn't, she's not interested. So she's wearing this Oregon Duck sweatshirt to the gym. And this guy she's never talked to before comes up to her. And uh, he's like, man, can you believe that game on Saturday night? And my wife, without skipping a beat, she's like, I know. When that guy did that one thing, it was awesome. And he totally went for it. He's like, I know. When he threw that pass and he caught. She had no idea what he was talking about. Like, she doesn't even care. But she's like, yeah, when that one guy did that one thing, I stood up and I celebrated. And he's like, me too. And they were best friends after that. Like, because she had an Oregon Duck sweatshirt on. He's like, surely you must know about the Ducks. She knows nothing about the Ducks. Imagine if somebody could look at your life simply by the way you were acting and carrying yourself. Surely you must know the Savior. You've got to know the king. You've got to know peace. You've got to know joy. You've got to know freedom because there's something different about your life. Tell me what it is. Like they could recognize something is different about you simply by how you carry yourself, by the decisions you make, by the spirit of excellence you have. This is what you and I are called to be, to be ambassadors for Jesus. Everywhere we go, sharing the love of God. Everywhere. My life, representative of the king. Turn in your Bibles with me to uh, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And I want to look back at uh, one of the Ten Commandments. And we don't, we don't really talk about the Ten Commandments often. Um, in fact, this is the first time we've talked about it in four and a half years since we became pastors here. But uh, I w the New Testament is kind of a step up, right, from, from the Old Testament. Like in the Old Testament, you couldn't sleep with another man's wife. In the New Testament, you couldn't even think about it or else it was the same act. Like in the New Testament, in James it says if there's a good thing you ought to do and you don't do it, it's a sin. Like in the Old Testament, if I did something good, it was good. If I did something bad, it was bad. But in the New Testament, if there's something good I ought to do and I don't do it, it's a sin. Like everything went up to another level. But sometimes it's important to go back to the root of everything and to examine one of the commandments that I feel like is important for us to, to see. That is Jesus speaking right now. And he's saying, amen, you're welcome. Thank you. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. It's, it's the, the third commandment. The first four are, are about our relationship with the Lord. And the last six are about our relationship with man. And uh, don't worry, I'm going to preach for another hour and a half, so the rain will be done by then. So you're good. Don't worry about getting wet. That was, that was a joke. Uh, Exodus chapter 20. Verse 7. Hallelujah. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 
For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. See, God's name is his character. God's name represents him. We believe this because we'll say things like, like that person has a bad name in the community. Like we'll say things like that. His name itself isn't bad. It's just yeah, his reputation is bad in the community. And see, in 600 B.C., uh, the Israelites went into exile because they were profaning the name of the Lord. And we, we read this commandment and we hear it of saying, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Like, don't say, oh, my God. Or don't say Jesus Christ in, in, the, in the wrong way. Like, the world thinks that Christ is Jesus' last name. Like, don't, don't do that. But that's, that's part of it. But that's not what this is really saying here. See, the Israelites didn't go into exile because they were profaning God's name by the way they were saying it. They went into exile because they were profaning God's name by their lifestyle. And they were carriers of the name of Jesus while they were worshiping idols. And the people in, in the land could not tell the difference between those who knew God and those who didn't know God. Think about that for a moment. Let's say on a, on a daily basis you walk by 100 people. Can you tell that any of them know Jesus? Can anybody walking by you tell you do? Does your life look any different than anybody else's? Like at all. Same desires, same issues, same fears, same marital problems, same parenting problems, same personal problems. Looks the same. You can't tell a difference. And the Israelites went into exile because they're profaning the name of the Lord by their lifestyle. And I think at times we forget what a privilege it is to be a son or a daughter of the king. What an honor. What a privilege it is to be an ambassador of the Lord. So privileged that I get to come into his presence. This is the creator of the universe. I, I get to sit at his feet. I get to worship him. That's why when it's not, it's not like I have to do all these things like, man, I got to do that and I got to do that. No, it's I get to. I, what a privilege. I get to read my Bible. I get to watch good things. I get to speak good to my children. I get to go to church. Like, what a privilege. I don't have to do it. I get to. So when people are like, man, it's so hard for me to do all this stuff, you're seeing it all wrong. It's a privilege. Man, I'm a son of God. I'm a child of the king. What an honor. What an honor that is. Too often our lifestyle, the way we live, contradicts the life that we have inside of us. That people walking by couldn't tell a difference between you and somebody who doesn't know the Lord. And this is saying here that God will not hold them guiltless. Now thank the Lord that there's grace and mercy and forgiveness. But catch this for a moment. That your life, the way you live, carriers of the name of Jesus, is so important. The word there, to take the Lord's name in vain. Take is actually another word for carry. That as you carry the name of Jesus with you, you're taking it in vain if you walk in foolishness and pride and fear. The decisions I make in my life over here are just as important as my pursuit of him here. And that this pursuit of him here in the gym 
should translate into my pursuit of him in my life. That I wouldn't be somebody who looks like I've got an appearance of godliness, but I'd have the power of God coming into my life, and my lifestyle would resemble the power that I've encountered over here. That I wouldn't just perfect profession of faith, but that my lifestyle would resemble the faith that I carry. You could tell a difference. In Revelations chapter 3, it talks about the church of Laodicea, and the Laodiceans were actually a wealthy people. They, they, had, they had money, they had resources, and there's a letter that's written to them. Many of us will recognize this, and uh, it's Revelations chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. It says, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now we live, no matter how much you make, right? Even if you make $10 an hour, which technically would be illegal. But even if you make basically very little, or if you make a ton. We're in the, the wealthiest country in the world. So all of us can relate to the Laodiceans in this chapter. We can all relate to not always needing or feeling like we need Jesus, right? We don't have many needs. If we can't even put food on the table, we got the government to help that. Like, it's, it's, it's easy to have your needs met in this country. It's easy to be in a place where you don't think you need him. I've got him here. I've, I've, I have a relationship with him, but he's not in my life. And God's saying to them, I wish you were cold or warm. I wish you didn't even know me or be warm. Because when you're lukewarm and you say you know me, but you deny me by your lifestyle, I spit you out of my mouth. Like this is intense. Like this is, like we tried to make the gospel easy. Like the Bible actually says narrow is the gate. Narrow is the gate and few find it. And we try to widen the gate as best as we can. Oh, it, it, it'll work if I, if I can live this way. No, narrow, narrow, and few find it. Because too often we profess with our lips, but we deny him by our lifestyle. He cares about the decisions you make. He cares about the choices you make. He cares about how you speak, how you talk, what movies you watch, what music you listen to. He cares about it all. That's not legalism. That's relationship. My wife, if I married my wife and I watched pornography every day and I had a girlfriend on the side, it would be a problem. Big problem. Right? And all of you would say, you should probably stop right away. That's not legalism. That's not her looking at me and saying, I own you. Now you can't do that anymore. No, it's out of my love for her that I want to honor her and protect her. It's out of my love for her that I'm like, Tash, I'll lay down everything because I care about you. This isn't legalism. This is relationship. This is understanding that the king of kings has called me his child. And it's, I want that to influence every area of my life. Not just so I can be alive, but because I actually need it. I actually need it. I got to be a better parent. I got to be a better husband. I need it. I want to give you six points of what 
it might look like to be lukewarm. Six points of what it might look like to be somebody who professes his name but denies him by your lifestyle. First one is this. Somebody who's lukewarm cares more about the approval of man than the approval of God. Timothy says, in the end days, there will be people who are lovers of themselves. And Jesus said, be aware when all men speak well of you. We live in a culture where it's about how many likes can I get? How many shares can I get? How many views can I get? Like, even if you aren't on social media, it's perpetrated in our culture. I've got to look a certain way. I've got to make a certain amount of money. I've got to drive this. I've got to have that. And even if you've got it, I've got to sustain it. I've got to keep it up. I've got to look good. But I care more about what he thinks than what you think. And I'm not going to change my life to make you happy. No, I'm going to say, God, what do you want me to do? And let that influence every decision I make. That we should care more about what the creator of the universe thinks than what our friends think. Number two, somebody who professes his name but denies him by their lifestyle rarely shares their faith in Christ. It's either we believe in the transformative power of Christ or we don't. Because if we believe it, we'll share it. In Matthew 10, 32 through 33, it says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Which means if, if you're embarrassed by him here, he'll disown you in front of his Father. Let that sink in for a moment. Like, this is, I'm just reading scripture. This is, this is real. If you disown him before others, he will disown you before his father. Number three, somebody who professes with their lips but denies them by the lifestyle, rationalizes sin. We're always wanting to look at areas in our lives that we're struggling, struggling with, thought we'd have victory over, that was in our mess when we started, and we're still struggling with it as we walk away from it. Oh, we're still there. We rationalize it away. It's just a habit. You know, it's just something that I inherited from my dad. It's just an anger issue. I manage it. No, there's actually freedom for it, and you can be delivered from it and have victory. You don't have to deal with it for the rest of your life. But we rationalize it away. Number four, only turn to God when you need something. Right? Kids are healthy. Family's healthy. Money's good. We're all good. All of a sudden, get diagnosed with cancer, run to the Lord, Father, heal me, God, I need you, go through chemotherapy, get healed, all good, put Jesus back on the shelf, and he becomes like this thing in our medicine cabinet, we only bring down when we need him. What that's basically doing is, is prostituting Jesus. It's like we're married to the world, and Jesus is our girlfriend on the side. And I'll go to Jesus when I need my needs met. I'll go to Jesus when I need to feel good. I'll, I'll go to Jesus when I got desires I need met. But then I don't want the world to know about them. So go away. I don't want anybody to know that I like you or that I love you or that I spent time with you. And I'll go back to the world and act like nothing's different. That's called prostituting your relationship with the Lord. And it should be the other way around. I should be in this place all the time. And the whole world should know about my love for Jesus. My lifestyle should be a result of my time spent with him. Like when I married, I spoke a message to our young adults recently about corn dogs. Best message. And how before I met Tash, I ate corn dogs like every day. After I met Tash, I never ate corn dogs. Because she delivered me of corn dogs. Like my lifestyle changed. She's like, you can't eat that, you will die. So I didn't eat it. My lifestyle changed because I, I met my wife. And she's like, it's not good. Like, this happens in every area of our lives. It also happens with the Lord. Number five, 
give whenever it is convenient. Right? My time, my energy, my love, my money. I only give it when I can get noticed. I only give it when I can get, get something back. Right? You see somebody who just needs a word of encouragement. Right? No one's going to notice it. Just go give it to them. Why? Because you want to represent Jesus. Right? That's why when people have a hard time with tithing, like, it's, it's 10%. Like, he could have asked for everything. He only asked for 10. Isn't that awesome? Because it's all his anyways. Romans 11, 36 says, everything comes from the Lord. All things were made because of him and will return to him. It's all his. It's like my time. My time's all his. God, you, you need me to stop what I'm doing. I know it's inconveniencing me to go love on that person, but God, I'm going to do it. I know, I know I don't have time for that, but God, my time is yours. And if you need me to, to love on somebody, encourage somebody, I'll go do it. Number six, you profess him with your lips, but you deny him by your lifestyle if you don't look much different than the rest of the world. Watch the same movies, talk the same way, have the same issues, struggle with the same stuff. No difference. My life should look different. Not because I'm special, but because he is. And when he's in me, it influences everything. This isn't something just for a pastor or for somebody who's been a believer for 10 years. No, soon as Jesus comes into your life and he embraces you in your mess, he's like, come follow me and leave it all behind. And this morning, I believe that the Lord is speaking to many of you about errors in your own life that you're like, man, I, I, need, to, I need to change that. That there's ways that, that you live. He's like, you know, you know you can't stay there. I've called you out of that. You're pulling that old man with you. You're dragging a dead man around, and it's time to leave it behind. And without much fan for, I, I want to I just ask you, if you feel like you need to say yes to Jesus this morning, to say my life is yours, and there are areas in your life where you've known the Lord, but you've not allowed him to influence those areas in your life and you're saying today's the day i've got to get rid of it. i can't rationalize sin any longer i can't just give when it's convenient i can't just only pursue the lord when times are bad and you're saying i can't just profess him with my lips and deny him with my lifestyle i've got to get right i want to invite you to come up right now and get right with the lord and begin to repent but then also receive power but you don't need to live like that any longer but you can walk in power not just have an appearance of godliness power. So if, if you want that right now, I just want to invite you to come forward.